Hello and welcome to WRI's Big Ideas Into Action podcast and a look at what stories we should be keeping our eyes on in the year ahead. What did happen that was under the headline that actually will make a big difference in the transition story and the stories that we are and our audiences are interested in? So what should we look for in each of these stories and why do those stories matter? Are we going backwards? Are we going forward? Are we going faster? We call them four breakthroughs, the four breakthroughs that were made last year. How would that matter? This is WRI's Big Ideas Into Action podcast. I'm Nicholas Walton, and in this podcast, we're looking at WRI's annual Stories to Watch presentation, our chance to put our heads together and work out what really matters in the year ahead and beyond. This year, we've concentrated on four particular stories, on the energy response to the Ukraine invasion, on tropical forests after Lula's re-election in Brazil, on a big year for climate finance, and on the real implications for the US Inflation Reduction Act. If you want to catch the full presentation by our president, Ani Dasgupta, including a Q&A with our experts, it's now online on our website, wri.org. But listen on to this podcast for a bit on how the stories were put together, how we picked out the themes that matter, and so on. First, I asked Arne how the world was shaping up after such a momentous 2022. I think the invasion of Ukraine made it uh, made the whole year more difficult for everyone in the world, especially for Ukrainians, Europe. But those impacts impacted everyone during the food crisis, energy crisis. So I think overall, Nicholas, last year was a difficult year. Uh, And we're not even talking about the economic pressures countries faced because of these things, inflationary pressure that was already there even before Ukraine. So overall, it was a kind of a difficult, uncertain year. And people, all of us, including all of us, did not know where this Russian invasion will go. No one expected it to be going on till now. But I want to add that I think as the as the war settled in um, into what's going on now is that there was a big worry from a lot of us, people like me who worry about how we will make progress on climate or progress on finance, because global solidarity or countries able to work together is a critical part of the solution. And, you know, in the beginning, if you remember, we saw the uh, possibility of regionalization. Saudi Arabia was already making transactions that was not dollar denominated. India was buying uh, natural gas from uh, Russia. So there was this uh, nervousness of uh, multilateralism breaking up, but that didn't happen actually in the end of the year. So the question is when we started thinking about what stories we want to tell, we really focused on let's not retell the stories that are already in the headlines. What did happen this year? that was under the headline, that actually will make a big difference in the transition story and the stories that we are and our audiences are interested in. Like what happened to the transition? Are we going backwards? Are we going forward? Are we going faster? So the stories we chose, Nicholas, are those stories that that are the movement under the surface that we think will matter the decision that were made. Um, that we think we call them four breakthroughs, the four breakthroughs that were made last year. How would that matter? So that is the tone of this year's stories to watch. I worked with you and the team on one of the stories, and that's about the longer term impact on energy and the energy transition after the Russian invasion of Ukraine. As you say, this is something that's been covered at length in the media, especially the short term impact, keeping the lights on in Europe. But what was really important for me working on this with you and others in the team 
was to throw a bit further forward into the future and to try and put some of the jigsaw pieces together and see what would happen. To look at solidarity, how Europe's really come together and is starting to itself really consider some of the future possibilities that we've got for how we think about energy. And of course, the past, in the past, there was this question, but we weren't as focused, obviously, before the invasion. We've also thought about the global impacts and the global aspects. What did you think of the story that we ended up with? I, I thought, Nicholas, first of all, it was a pleasure to work with you on the story. And I think the story we ended up with is really a fantastic distillation of the moment. This story, Nicholas, exactly illustrates what I was saying about going under the headlines. All of us know of the of weaponization of energy by Afra, by uh, Russia, the complete devastation that's happening to the energy infrastructure in, in Ukraine, but 40% of energy sorry, gas that Europe was dependent on vanishing overnight. We know all that, right? That that all the nervousness that Europe will not enough energy for heating this year, this winter as we speak, that hasn't happened. I think the story we're trying to tell here is what is happening longer term. And the central story is that because of this crisis, because Europe had to secure natural gas from other places, is that a new source of energy or or uh, dependence on natural gas is going to put Europe backwards towards their uh, climate goal or renewable energy goal. That's the real story. Is it? Is it that not only that will Europe meet its energy demand, which it seems it will, will it all on the longer term take it back? That's the story we're trying to tell, and I think we very do a very good job telling. And how does this European um, um, interventions and policies? How does it impact other places in the world? What happens to India? What happens to Nigeria? What happens to China because of this? And it has huge implications. What I think brought this to me, and I think I told you the story, what really irritated me one morning was in the front page of a paper, I think the New York Times or Washington Post, I don't know, one of the two papers I look at, was the story of a coal plant being reopened in UK. And it's a terrible story, right? You and I will hate the story of a coal plant opening. But that was the headline. And there was no context of what is going on in Europe. And I felt like everyone will read it and feel that Europe is going backwards. And and to be the real story is that's not the case. Europe actually is stronger than ever. European countries have more coherent energy policy because of this crisis. And their ambition has increased of renewable energy. So I felt that we as WRI owe it to the world to tell a story of the longer term and also tell what the fact is in context of overall what's going on. So I'm actually very happy with that story. I don't know how you feel about it. You worked on it too. As you've said, it's about adding context and asking questions about the future. We, we can't exactly know what's going to happen. But by adding the context, we can frame the choices and the questions that we have to ask. And I think that the story worked out really well. And that links well to our second story, which is about tropical forests. And the big headline event here was the re-election of President Lula in Brazil, replacing Bolsonaro. That's what we know. But then it's about adding layers onto that, asking what it does mean for tropical forests in Brazil and, and ultimately around the world. You know, this is a really interesting moment. And the story, the reason it's a story is that two things happen back to back. One is, of course, Lula's election, which is, has created a ripple of hope really ripple of hope and excitement because the last four years in Brazil, we have seen a dramatic increase in deforestation. You know, everyone in the world, I think, who pays attention to this knows the importance of the Amazonian forest and all the, the only three tropical forests left, only three to six to seven percent of Earth's land. 
has tropical forest left. Actually, a lot of earth was covered with tropical forest in the middle part of the earth, but that's not the case anymore. So there is there is always this angst about that how we know this is a problem, but we haven't able to solve it. So if you remember in last COP, not this one, in the last one in Glasgow, 140 countries came together and said, we will st stop deforestation 2030. Actually, the numbers didn't show that in a year, but that's fine. It just started. But two things that's happened is Lula's election gives huge hope. And then just after that, when we all were in Montreal for the Nature Cop, to everyone's surprise, that particular cop delivered more than people thought when they were working into that cop two weeks back. It delivered a 30-30 goal. It delivered a reversal of uh, extinction by 2030 of uh, species. These two things together created this moment of hope. Oh, my God, finally, we have things in place and things will reverse. I mean, deforestation will reverse. I think the story we will tell there is that hope is great. We are also hopeful and excited. What does it will take for this to actually materialize in reversing deforestation? What needs to happen in Brazil? He Lula did win election, but didn't win majority in every part of the government. What does he have to do? What does the world need to do? How would finance work? How would commodity trading work to support it? So, And how ultimately, we argue, as you know very well, that we have to stop repeating things we have done before, that we actually need a different approach for protecting forests that takes the whole economy of Amazon and the other forests into and have find a solution that's not just better for trees, but better for people who live there. So the standing forest is more valuable to them than destroyed forests and grazing land. So I think that is a story, not only a story to watch, it's a very important thing that's going to happen to the world. And we all have to not only just wish for its success, but find ways we can help for it to succeed. And on to the third story, Arnie, and that's about finance. Now, finance is an ever-present in the environmental space. We do talk about it a lot because it's important. But was it the fully-fledged emergence of loss and damage at the COP in Sharm el-Sheikh, the reason why this story is so vital now? Or were there other things on your mind that you were when you were discussing it with the rest of the Stories to Watch team? You know, this story is very close to my heart. You know, this is also, this is, I worked at the World Bank, as you know. And this story is something that is, is going to unfold over years going forward. It is fundamental to the work we do. I am convinced right now, Nicholas, that all these promises countries are making on their NDCs, especially, I'm talking of specifically global South countries, that they would not be able to implement them because there's the money won't flow for it. So, all this work everyone is doing to increase ambition, putting things on paper, will be for nothing if the finance doesn't flow. And I'm absolutely viscerally, viscerally concerned about it. This year, I think, will be beginning of a series of events on this topic. To answer your question, what was the loss and damage in Sharm el-Sheikh agreement on that? Was that, is that the tipping point? Yes and no. I don't think loss and damage, even if it's super successful, will solve all problems. That's the no part. The yes part is it's in it's a loss and damage is a very important signal, uh, very important symbol for solidarity among rich countries and vulnerable and poor countries that we are in it together. That this is an acknowledgement that the suffering that vulnerable countries are facing today from climate-related disasters, it's not a it's not that suffering that disaster those disasters they didn't cause it they didn't produce the emission in the atmosphere that is causing that disruption in the climate. Rich countries did. 
it's a very symbolic but a very important point of departure because ultimately finance between countries or flowing between rich and poor to poor countries it's really not about that much about finance. It's about justice. It's about agreeing that this is how we're going to solve this problem together. So I personally think that's a really good start. As you know very well, there is no money in it right now. That's what's going to happen this year and next. But lots more needs to happen. Uh, it's just a tip of the iceberg, as we say in the story. It's a good tip, but there's a lot under the water to fix, uh, to get the finance flow the countries in global south need both from public sector but most importantly from private capital because this amount of money that's needed for the transition it's simply not possible to fund it through public sources um, and that's what we focus on in the story interesting and and the fourth and final story takes us back to last summer when the two of us recorded a wri podcast about the inflation reduction act and this fourth story asks us where this now puts the united states at the start of 2023 Back when we first discussed it for the podcast, you you were really positive about what the act could do, a real step change in how industries and tech and R&D could be galvanized into action on clean energy, feeding through into supply chains and markets and, and bringing things to market. In some way, this story is a bit of a stock take on that, asking us where we are and where do we go from here? So as we you remember, you and I talked about how potentially path-breaking this could be right that this set of three set of laws at that time and what has happened since then two indication of its path breakingness is one is huge amount of capital is already flowing in the united states and clean capital in anticipation of the subsidies from the government it will unleash a whole generation of industrial investments on this air in these areas that is already proving true even in a difficult year you know remember this year the inflation is high the interest rates are higher it's a difficult investment here but that is very much flowing and what is already happening i see is the other countries though they, there is grumbling as you know very well between eu and us that this is protectionist i personally think that grumbling is going to go away because you and us have actually come closer together last year simply because of the jointed um, uh, re response to the ukraine crisis um, that this will be sorted out uh, but at the same time you you actually is doubling down on the green investment so the answer to your question is i think we already see the movements that we were hoping to see but a new thing has come up nicholas that we kind of uh, focus on a little bit in the story is that these are massive economy shifting laws, like massive, uh, in, in the unprecedented scale and scope. Now people are worried, including us, is the ability to implement them, the permitting process that is needed, the manpower and woman power and people power that's needed to implement them, the materials that are needed to build these things, the new, simply the availability of material to build the solar panels and um, winter wind turbines and the transmissions so it is the question has interestingly become the ability to implement it i don't know if you saw two days back there was a long front page article in new york times about epas which is the environmental protection agency united states ability to pass the regulation they need to pass to make these laws implement just the human capacity because the article was that how epa got depleted during trump administration and how they're finding really difficult so think about so that that block that uh, hurdle of implementation i don't think i appreciate it as much in the enthusiasm and euphoria when the laws got passed but now people are thinking through including us 
how will these laws get implemented and how can we make sure the benefits these laws can have that people actually see it you know um that we all see in the economy shifts it's a massive enterprise and i i actually think that other countries in the world and I'm, we already see early indication of this will try to emulate to see how other countries pass laws and investments that kind of shape their economy for the future yes because it's now being seen so much more as an opportunity uh, and that brings in the political will and a systemic change like the shift to a clean energy economy from a fossil fuel economy won't happen just with small steps like EV subsidies here or or something small on solar panels there. It needs to be pushed through with a real force of political will, which is what the Inflation Reduction Act demonstrates. And that can only be good. I mean, think about it. It's, it is basically saying we need a different economy. So it invests in energy. It invests in consumers actually accepting those solutions like electric cars or heat pumps, then it invests in new areas of um, technology that is needed for the future. For example, hydrogen, for example, CCS. Or So, you know, it, it's a very comprehensive set of thought and, and processes, all of them directed towards creating the new future, new jobs and investment. So the most interesting story I heard in the, while we were preparing for this was the story about a South Korean firm which would have normally built things in South Korea, is actually now investing in, um, I think, one of the southern states, Atlanta or Alabama, I forget which one. Uh, I mean, Georgia or Alabama. But uh, in a factory that's going to bring those jobs from South Korea, it's not a good story for South Korea. But think about what already is happening within a year, you know? And that was Arnie Dasgupta on WRI's recommendations for the stories to watch in 2023. As mentioned earlier, you can watch Arnie's full presentation on our website, WRI.org, and that's where you can find all our research, interactive digital tools, events, insights, articles, and of course, our full back catalogue of podcasts on everything from oceans to cities, food to forests. I'm Nicholas Walton, and goodbye for now. 